At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Oh. Nielo. Stay. I never learned it. Whatever tongue Ford saw fit to give you. I remember you. Hey everybody, welcome to our podcast, I'm Jason. And I'm David. And this is Westworld Cast, episode 13. And I'm really glad to be podcasting about this because I hate Fear of the Walking Dead right now, which is my <laughs> other show. <laughs> I can't really comment on that, except just to say that it can't be as good as this. No, it's not as good as this. Well, uh, how are you doing? Are you doing well? Good. Good. Um, yeah, big big day in the sports world. So our, our company was televising the Warriors championship parade today the happiest day of the year in oakland nice lots of smiles is it fun for you even though you're working uh it is it's a a lot of work goes into it a little bit stressful a little bit tiring can't complain though (laughs) Um, for people working sports don't get a lot of championships unless you're us (laughs) (laughs) awesome all right well let's get into some non-sports topic aka our top five highlights for this week's westworld season two episode eight kiksuya Sounds like you liked it. Uh, I liked this episode quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would probably go and s- go ahead and say this is my favorite episode of Westworld so far. Wow. It's interesting that because I'd say this episode maybe more than any other was. Well, maybe I'm not right about this, but I was going to say it's a little bit more of a straightforward story. I, as maybe as straightforward as anything can be yeah. in this show, at least it was one story. Right. That's yeah. Maybe that's what it is. I'm confusing it being one story for being straightforward because there's plenty of things to chew on. But uh, also another thing I do think is true for sure is it had a lot of heart to it. And I think this show needed a story like this to get people hooked in emotionally a little bit better. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, this episode had a lot of heart and I also thought it was very unique and individual to the show. And I tend to like those. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me, I mentioned it, Karen, it reminded me of the episode of breaking bad called fly, Yeah, uh, which was one self-contained story and totally different. It was almost lifted out of the sort of plot line of the show. Yeah. Um, uh, but very emotional and impactful. 
And uh, I think a lot of different shows have an episode like that in their history. And this was the one for this show. And they can be risky because it is different. And if you have people liking a show for a certain reason and something new comes along, and especially that episode, which was all about the main character chasing a fly around, but it turned out awesome. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, if it works well, then it's great. And I like this one too. It reminded me a little bit of dances with wolves uh, which at the time I really dug and it, for a couple of reasons it's you know a story about Native Americans also I looked it up and the language is both Lakota I don't know if it's their different variants but anyway it sounded familiar to me so it did I had yeah. the same reaction at the beginning of this one yeah because um, that's the movie where probably most of us have heard the Lakota language yeah and also when uh, Akichita is trying, she he tracks down, or no, actually kidnaps Kohana before she realizes that they, you know, were together in another life. And he's got to calm her down. And it just reminded me of how Kevin Costner was with Stands with a Fist at first when she didn't trust him at all. <clears throat> yes, and they went to some great lengths to be reunited in that story as well. Right. Yeah. It's a love story. Well, let's get into our top five. What's your number five. Uh, so wanted to point out before we start, and sometimes we talk about the title at the end, but, um, Kiksuya, the Lakota word for remember, mm-hmm. um, just so people have that context. And, and obviously that doesn't need a great explanation for this. <laughs> no. And he, so he has two names, right? Is that what it is? He's Akichita Kiksuya. Um, I did not realize that that was part of his name. Oh, I yeah. thought maybe it yeah. was, but um, I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just the word. Okay. So uh, my number five from this episode is how Akichita avoided having his memory erased, uh, which was essentially to stay alive in Westworld for almost 10 years, mm-hmm. which <laughs> if you think about it is quite, quite an amazing feat given the paradigm that uh, basically these creatures are there to be killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it actually even took the people who work in the park aback. Uh, and this is a violent character designed to be in battles, right? Uh, designed to be a victim for macho guests. Um, so, you know, determination, moxie, smarts. This is one of the most intrepid characters and determined uh, that we've come across amongst all these remarkable characters. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. It's an interesting difference that we've never seen before. And it's, we kind of learned something new too, that the hosts don't get wiped until they die. And also it's kind of funny that why has this guy not been wiped in so long? Just makes you realize that all the other hosts probably die a lot more frequently. Yeah, he's an alpha. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> original build an alpha yeah, two. Is this like you find an iPod or something? Yeah, and uh, just a corollary sort of to the story. I enjoyed there even was some. Um, and this episode is very serious, but there was some humor mixed in to this. You know, he realizes the only way he's going to find Kohana, his girlfriend or wife, is to get killed himself and go look for her. So very serious theme there. But then when he is, he's down in the other world, the world below, um, there's the lazy employees that are basically like, ah, eh, this is a long update. We'll come back after mm-hmm. lunch. 
So um, that was kind of funny. And then there's the behavioral supervisor who's sort of the equivalent of Elsie later in the show. Um, and she, when she hears that he hasn't died in almost 10 years, says, give him the update and put him back wherever the fuck he belongs quietly. And I sort of missed that the first time through, and it caught my attention the second time through. It seemed like there was a little more there than met the eye. Like maybe she realized he was important to Ford or that he had some ulterior purpose um, that would make it possible even for for this to happen or mm -hmm. that there was something different about him. I don't know, but it, she meant something by it. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. But as you're talking about it, I wonder if it was sort of a cover up like, oh, shit, there's behavioral anomalies here, but let's just try and keep it quiet so we don't get in trouble or something like that yeah yeah you might be right that know. might be the equivalent of what was going on at the beginning of season one uh where they sort of didn't want anybody to know that weird stuff was going mm -hmm. down and then that whole arc of that part of the story ends by akichita becoming awake by realizing the pain is not his own it's not his alone uh, and that everybody in cold storage represents someone's loss. And I thought that was a really poignant moment. Very much. And it just sort of points out another tragic element of this whole thing for the host that even though they're not conscious of it on some level, they realize that they've just exper been experiencing loss on many different levels, including losing people that were important to them in their lives. Yes, and many that we, the viewers, continue to be blind to until we realize or are shown new aspects. Right. So he goes into this underground area that we've seen many times before, and anytime anybody goes down there, HBO has to hire 100 extras who are willing to stand completely still, completely <laughs> nude. <laughs> so... Funny, we were just talking about this because uh -huh. um, we weren't sure until or I wasn't sure until you just said that. And Karen said, are those a bunch of naked extras or um, or are they mannequins? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And I said, well, just speaking as a producer myself, extras sound cheaper than mannequins. <laughs> so I'm guessing they're extras <laughs> than having a bunch of mannequins made. But um, so then that was her question for the week. Um, okay. Rather than calling in, she said her she question. She said she had a question. Yeah. Yeah. Her question to you is Would you be a naked extra? Oh, I was going to ask you that. Damn it. <laughs> I was just going to ask you. Now I have to answer. Um, yeah. What the hell? It's Westworld. <laughs> I'd do it right now while the show's on top. If it gets bad, then no. Yeah. Then you've kind of jumped the shark. And yeah. It's I'm not going to demeaning. Demean myself for a bad show. I will for a yeah. good show. Yeah. <laughs> what about I'll, you? I'll, I'll answer. Yeah. I would not do it. You wouldn't? I don't th no, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> what if they promised it would only be a certain angle or something? <laughs> <laughs> you trust those guys? Oh, no. <laughs> no got cameras. Not at all. <laughs> all right. Now that we got that out of the way, are you ready for me to go on my number five? Yep. Go for it. Okay. Mine is love. And it was, Aww. it's been a theme of this show for a while now. But this really hit home, and it's interesting because, I, as we've talked about, I think this show can be very um, mis misanthropic. That's when you hate everyone, right? Yes. Yeah. 
And, but what's becoming very clear is another theme of the show is that no matter the context with these hosts, love kind of trumps all. And that's true with Maeve and her daughter. And it's true in this episode with Akichita and Kohana, his wife. And, you know, they say, take my heart when you go. And she says, take mine in its place or vice versa. And that to me just means, all right, we're going to separate, but you keep loving me and feeling connected and I'll do the same. And and then it was really sweet when that's kind of how he woke her up to the situation by repeating that line. And it, it reminded her of it. And it reminded me of Akane in Shogun World taking, literally taking Sakura's heart to give her a parting ceremony. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, it's just, I mean, that's, that's kind of a literal uh, representation of it, but it also illustrates that there's love there too. And even with... Lee and Maeve, like I think uh, Akichita said at some point, we're all bound together, the living and the damned. And I think what he meant by that, because it cut right then to Maeve and Lee was uh, the damned may be the humans, who knows? But either way, you can tell that there's some real feeling going on there between them. And so we're learning that whether or not uh, all these questions about whether the hosts are real or aware or awake or whatever there's one thing that's for sure and that's that it's possible for them to develop feelings of love for each other and that those are important and and they're actually um powerful because i think akichita's love for kohana is one of the things that helps him wake up and it drives him you know so, and we've seen that love can be a driver for the different hosts. Even Dolores and Teddy have, like, I think Dolores may have just killed Teddy if she didn't love him rather than tweak his algorithms or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think I said during the first season that I felt like in some ways this show is an exploration of grief. And it, if you think of some of the strongest emotions we see in this show, like Arnold's feelings for his son who died, um, or the many variations of people who are parted, the factor that seems to wake up the hosts or grant them conscious awareness uh, is loss, which is really, I think, the strongest emotion that humans deal with. And you can't have loss without love. Right. There is no, there's no grief without love. I mean, that's the other thing that I was going to talk about is with love comes heartbreak and that we see instances of that. Like when he goes, he loses Kohana and then he goes back to their home to find her and it's some other chick <laughs> and right. it calls her a ghost. And it's just like, yeah, maybe she's programmed with the same personality, but she doesn't have the same soul and it's not her. And, you know, that's not it. So that's when he decides to go search everywhere f for her through dangerous territory. And it's all about her. But then later, the other thing that you mentioned is um, already is when, yeah, it's clear that standing among all those naked hosts that they represent people who are lost to other people. And while he's looking for Kohana, 
down there. And that's another tragic moment, by the way, he realizes or that she's just a lifeless robot, at least in that moment. They're playing Nirvana's heart shaped box, which is a very cynical love song. I've been locked inside your heart shaped box for weeks. A heart shaped box implies that it's not actually a heart. <laughs> and right. It's all about being trapped and being guilt ridden and dark and things like that. So I think that's just, I don't know. He, it was a disappointing moment for him. But yeah, he says, my pain was selfish because it was never only mine for everybody in its place. There was someone who, uh, who mounted their loss, even if they didn't know why. Yep. Very powerful. Then the, the one other heartbreaking moment, the last one is when he gives uh, that his friend, the woman, her son's braid and says, I found your son. And she just breaks down crying. That really moved me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, very much so. Uh, the, the other woman in his tribe that is able to spot that a, a ghost has shown up. Yeah. One other very, uh, poignant moment is the very end of this episode where, you know, that you have this exchange uh, going on between the two of them throughout take my heart with you when you go and take mine in its place. And the last time it is said is between Maeve and we assume Akchita uh, across the mesh network. Yeah. Uh, and the message there seems to be from him to her, die well and come join us if you're resurrected and from her to him take care of my daughter. Exactly. That's what I thought too. Yeah. And that's very affecting as well. Mm -hmm. So is that the last we've seen of Maeve then? Yeah. Interesting to uh, wonder about whether we have, I don't think we have. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Cause she's, she's such a key and, and yeah. great character. Uh, but certainly they, they've put her on the brink here and, I thought one of the interesting developments here and it's there's genuine emotion and this is very human. This is sort of goes along with the dark and dim view of humans that's presented throughout this show, but there's like one part genuine feeling and two parts cynicism. So the one part is that Lee Sizemore, when he brings Maeve back to the lab uh, and really advocates for her to get attention seems to have genuine regard for her. Like he's developed, I think, actual affection for her. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the one part that's real feeling. But the two parts cynical are that, on the other hand, he's really rescuing her because he's realized that her code of controlling other hosts can maybe be used to reestablish control over them as a group. Mm hmm uh, so I think that's why he's so on fire to have her looked at and repaired. I see the way I read it when it was just the two of them and he kind of broke down and said, I'm so sorry. And you should be able to teach your daughter the joys of what are living and whatever. And this is not what you deserve. And whatever he said, he seemed pretty sincere. And so that made me think that he was using that other thing that you mentioned, uh, you know, using her ability to control the host as an excuse to convince them to keep her around. Interesting. 
So uh, we've just learned that I'm more cynical than you. (laughs) (laughs) I think it depends on the context. (laughs) I did not think of that, but that actually makes a lot of sense. I would buy that, that maybe he realizes they're not going to do anything for her and says, wait a minute, there's a reason. Yeah. Um, And he kind of trotted that reason out to get the uh, original rescue squad to take her with. Yeah. I mean, it could be a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I mean, the, just the way the guy was playing it, though, he seemed genuinely like, I don't, you know, I really don't want anything to happen to her. Right. But the other part cynicism is that he originally comes in there sort of like, hey, you got to do something for this person I care about. And the guy who's in there working on the host just has no interest in it whatsoever. Mm-mm. He's basically like dumper in the garbage. Yeah. Until he finds out that something can be useful to him. uh, And then he decides to work on her. But it's that, I think it's that human thing we've all experienced where you bring something you care about to like some other group of people. Maybe it's in your company or in your personal life, whatever. And then you get the rude awakening that they just want to use whatever it is. They really don't care about protecting whatever it is you care about. Yeah. Yeah, this is really kind of silly, but what came up for me just now was when I was in second grade and I had this cool toy. It was a little Spider-Man wrist thing that actually shot a little bit of web fluid out of it, but it was limited. And I brought it to school and some kid that I wanted to impress wanted to play with it and he took off and I didn't see him all day. And when I came back, it was totally empty and wrecked. And I (laughs) loved that thing. (laughs) And I, that's when I learned you can't really trust people with your prized possessions like that. Well, he didn't care about your friendship. He just wanted no. to play with the toy. Yeah, he didn't give a shit at all. <laughs> and it hurt. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, my turn? Your turn. All right, so now we have it confirmed that Akichita uh, is awake, and so are some of the other Ghost Nation people, which is cool because we've been wondering what the hell is up with them. And so I was just wondering, you know, how did that happen? And I think there's because I, you know, I was thinking first off, well, it seems like um, Dolores woke up because at first Bernard, I mean, Arnold was coaching her and then later and he had those reveries going that program thing. And then uh, Ford reawakened that or re you know, inserted it into them later. So how then does Akichita end up waking up without that? I presume. So there's a few things. The first thing that really sparked him was finding the maze, the little toy maze thing. And he said, I found something that changed our lives. And you think he's talking about discovering the white man basically with their buildings and horses and stuff, but then it seemed pretty significant when he found the the toy maze and he became obsessed with it. And 
I guess for one thing, Arnold forgot to have the natives killed, right? The whole point of that was to kill the hosts. And maybe this is a commentary about how the native Americans are on the fringe and aren't considered central or something like that. But anyway, so I was wondering if like Arnold programmed some response to that maze, uh, you know, Dolores, the maze seemed to help her, but I thought it was more of a metaphor and she actually didn't really hold that little toy until kind of the end of her journey to consciousness, at least as far as I remember. But um, for Akichita and maybe even Maeve, it seems to be a trigger. But then also when Ford, when Akichita met Ford, uh, Ford said, I built you to be curious to look at this empty world and read meaning into it. And that combined with that, you know, as a Native American, there's a lot of emphasis on myths and oral tradition and things like that. A little more, um, I don't know, creative and imaginative that that might have helped him turn this maze into an impetus to figure this stuff out. Well, a lot going on there. Um, just a couple things about it. One is it's interesting that he would say, you know, I built you to read meaning into this empty world. I mean, he might as well be speaking about people. Yeah. That's kind of what we're built to do. <laughs> I mean, we recognize patterns. We anthropomorphize mm-hmm. everything. Make up stories. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that was interesting. And in that way, um, created in humanity's image, even though Ford has a dim view of humanity. Uh, but also, I, I think there was more to it than just finding the maze, because when queried about it, you know, he he doesn't just find the maze, right? He finds the maze, he finds the massacre in their bodies, he finds Arnold's glasses. Yeah. Um, and Arnold. And Arnold, and then refers to them as the creator and the death bringer. Um, so he he actually knows more about this scene than just the toy. Yeah. Do you think he knew in the moment? Well, that's the interesting part. Like what um, his role was to be there. Was it an accident? Did Arnold invest him with something? Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think that it was an accident. Yeah, me too. I, I want to think that this particular cocktail of elements just kind of randomly came together to cause this to happen. And there's, there's a couple more that the technical things we've mentioned that he, well, we saw early on that he had lived this happy life with his wife and his people and they were all calm and everything. And then we learned that was during the beta period. And you and I have talked about this before, but at some point they realized, well, that's not interesting enough for the guests. So we have to make it more violent. So they grab him and turn him into this killing machine. But that was when uh, they talked about, well, we don't want to spend the time to rewrite his heuristics. So just raise his aggression and de-address pieces of his current build you aren't keeping and leave all the old shit in there, which basically to me says there's, you know, bits of him left behind that he, that, that are buried deep down that, that could come back. But the big thing, yeah, is that he just stayed alive for so long. And we learned that, um, it's all, you know, when you die and you get reformatted, that's when you forget, but it's, it's always been all about memory. That's a huge part of 
achieving consciousness is you have to be able to remember what's happened to you before and build on that. If you keep getting restarted, then you're never going to. Right. It's consciousness is the sum of your memories essentially, and your reaction to them. Just to go back to the previous point, um, in the very first shot of this episode, which was in the previously on Mm -hmm. part was Akchita when before the park opened, uh, when he was in the role of helping to sell Logan on investing. Yeah. And that's back in Hong Kong. So he would have known Arnold as the creator. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So if he became awake and actually was able to access all of his memories, that's probably where that came Right. From. So he may not have realized it in the moment, but right. could remember But later. at some point later. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. I was wondering why they put any importance on that, but that makes a lot of sense. The last thing, and I think it's really important, is just his love for Kohana. That was what drove him to want to do something to um, stay alive and find her. And there's all this stuff with the door, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, he had a purpose because of her and it kept him interested in keeping his memories and keeping her uh, remembering him. And even he decided to start making it his drive to wake other people and they explain why they we've seen images of the maze inside people's scalps at one point one of the other um ghost nation members says hide it from them and so i guess the idea is that because he's been obsessively drawing this thing everywhere kind of reminded me of um Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Richard Dreyfuss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. But uh, anyways, like, I don't know. It didn't really make sense to me. Okay, they're not hiding it because he's drawing it everywhere. And if you put it in someone's scalp, it's not really going to help them because they can't see it. And also, how do you reattach the scalp when you're out in the field? But whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that is an issue. Anyways, then, so he's made it his um, business to... to uh, wake everybody up and he starts with his tribe and that reminded me of a couple of episodes when ago when he said to Stubbs kind of mysteriously right before he presumably let him go something about you're only alive as long as the last person who remembers you and that in the moment that sounded like something you would say about how yeah you should you know make sure you have family that can tell your story or something like that but in this context, it's more like as long as someone remembers, then they can be there when you come back from your reformatting to tell you the stories again so you can reawaken. Yeah. You know, and that's what they I mean, did. One um, incredible irony of this whole episode, and always in Westworld, there's so many different meanings going on at the same time, is that um, part of the what resonates, I think, uh, about. Um, this fictional tribe of Ghost Nation, but also the Lakota language, which has obviously its roots in reality um, in America, and all the loss and difficulty that those peoples went through. Uh, But it's that those Native American cultures are very tied to the natural world, which I think resonates with people, even those of us whose cultures maybe aren't so tied to the natural world. 
But in this case, it's being experienced by a, a an unnatural being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one that was electronically created by another species. So there's significant irony there. What would you think if a couple of seasons on, all of a sudden the show had a huge t- twist that us humans are also unnatural beings and part of some kind of simulation? Cylons? Yeah, you know, or the whole planet is just a ruse or something. Yeah. I mean, they could always go the route of the entire thing as a simulation. Yeah. You know, it was all a dream. Um, I think that would be quite a cop-out, though. I mean, it's sort of like the Matrix, I guess. Yeah. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention on this point is it seem, it seems plausible or possible that, you know, we find out that Akichita was actually trying to warn and protect Maeve and her daughter this whole time. And he left symbols of that may maze. And that seems kind of significant to me that he was a factor in her awakening. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, there was a lot of things explained in this episode. (laughs) Uh, and that was one that that symbol intended for Maeve's daughter was actually seen by her and had an effect. on. Mm -hmm. And it just like right before we saw, uh, man in black come in and kill her and then she was left in the middle of a drawing of the maze on the ground and then we know that that's when she first started really tweaking out and realizing something was going on here right okay number three uh, my number three is the hand of Robert Ford which is always 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 a factor uh, in this story and he's obviously been in this season two much less than in season one uh, but every time he shows up it is first of all it's just great so I love it when he shows up <laughs> um, but it's just always impactful uh, and something is going on that has a big effect on everything around it and I think what we actually, the reveal we got here in the scene between Robert Ford and Akichita is huge. It's that I think we really see the moment at which his mind changed. Yeah, because um, he was talking kind of derogatorily about the maze. Yes, and he was saying this was basically, this was Arnold's symbol, and Arnold had this fantasy about consciousness for the host that was silly, and it drove him crazy and led to his death, and he's very dismissive of it, Uh, but then he realizes that it's actually right in front of him, and, um, you know, he says, uh, all this time you've been a flower growing in the darkness, and the least I can do is give you a little light, Um. And then tells him to lead his people to the door when when Ford is killed. So we get a couple reveals there. One is we're seeing the moment when I think to some degree his mind changes about what the path should be for the hosts. So you think and he came up with that whole idea just in that moment? I was wondering I don't think if he, he already had it planned. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he came up with the whole idea just in that moment. But I think it is a an inflection point for him. Okay. Uh, because in the conversation, what he hears seems to change his attitude a little. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is he has already realized at this point that um, that Dolores is going to come for him. Mm-hmm. 
he's realized the end point of <laughs> whatever that is, whatever it is as a consciousness or a species or, or whatever, he knows what she is and what his end is going to be. It's interesting that Dolores was known as Deathbringer. Probably, you know, when we first saw her in season one, episode one, being this sweet little farm girl, if you went and asked to Kichita, he'd go, oh, yeah, that's Deathbringer. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. I mean, I wonder if he knew it before the original massacre, but but maybe not. Maybe it's. Yeah, we don't we don't really know. He knew her before that, or it seems like they would have encountered each other. (laughs) Okay. My number three is, is the door because we get a lot of that this season. And it was pretty cool to see Logan all crazy out in the desert naked, which presumably is right after William sent him off tied to his horse or sometime after that. And he's, going there's got to be a way out of here where's the door this is the wrong world which sounds like crazy ramblings but it's actually pretty sane given what we know it's pretty literal actually yeah but uh anyways that really impacted akichita he took it to heart he i think he said it cracked him open or something like that and then he finds the valley beyond and it's got structures on the edge with pipes going down and looks like against the wall is a door. So is that the door? I mean, I feel like we still really don't know what the door is. Of course, we probably won't. Hopefully we will in a couple episodes. Um, if it, it seems like it's way too simplistic to just think of it as a way to get out of the park because there's also a train depot, which is where people enter and leave the park. Um, and also man in black said that was the site of his biggest mistake. So, I mean, I don't think his biggest mistake is to make a door to get out of the park. (laughs) No, I agree with that. Um, I think everyone has their own meaning for what the door is at this point. And maybe some know the literal answer. And for some it's a metaphor. Uh, or a concept it wasn't really clear to me like what he saw in that sort of excavated infrastructure which is all over the park right there's elevators and tunnels and labs and doors um, yeah and doors all kinds of stuff so i i would tend to believe that um that there's more to the concept than just the literal and remember there whatever the door is there's some crypto key to it in Abernathy's brain. Right. One thing that was interesting that might be a key or maybe it's a false lead. When Akichita was talking, I think to Ford, he said he gave himself a new drive to spread the truth that there isn't one world, but many, and that we live in the wrong one. This will help them find the door. I believe there's a door hidden in this place, a door to a new world, and that world may contain everything we have lost, including her. And so all this time I had been thinking, because he talked about the door as a place where they don't, where they can protect their memories. And to me, that just means getting out of the park where these lab techs can't get to you. But if it contains everything you've lost that he's lost, including her, which I assume is his wife, 
then maybe it's, I mean, too, that sounds like the, uh, the, what do you call that? Um, the thing that they just blew up the cradle, the cradle. Yeah. The simulation where all the backups are kept, but that's, I don't think that's it. <laughs> no, it's funny. You just, I had, was going to talk about the door as well. And you basically just said exactly what I wrote down, <laughs> which was this is that whole quote. And then it's interesting in that the cradle was destroyed, which could have been a path back to her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody's in there, then she was probably in there. Yeah. When uh, now that makes me wonder, okay, if you have a different body, if, if you have a, you know, like a host dies or needs to be reassigned, reassigned. So you assign a new host that looks different to that same role. Do they get, uh, uploaded with the backup of that personality or, or not? And if so, then when you go in the cradle, then what version of them do you see? I think I'm asking pointless questions and getting way too um you might be asking questions that the writers haven't actually dealt with but it's interesting to think about yeah um yeah i mean like when dolores had a new daddy he seemed to be saying the same things as the old one yeah exactly yeah 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 i think it bears saying people are questioning the motives of ford and everything like that and i i just feel like he's always been on the side of helping free these hosts when when he's talking to Akichita, he says, you mentioned this already, but when Deathbringer returns uh, for me, you will know to gather your people and lead them to a new world. And he's speaking similarly to Bernard last week, you know, just when Bernard expressed doubt that you could escape, he seemed to suggest that you could. So I don't know. He's wily. You can't ever really trust what he's saying, but it seems to me like he, his ultimate goal and maybe the goal of this season, which is called the door is that in two episodes, we're going to see the hosts go through some door and go to a new place. Could be. Um, I mean, in a sense, he's come around to where Arnold was, but I still feel like the motivations are different. Yeah. Um, And he said as much to Bernard last week. I mean, for Arnold, you know, he felt a moral responsibility towards these creatures, which in a way had become alive, could maybe replace his lost son. Um, It's all these noble sort of purposes, although Arnold was scared of Dolores in the end. Um, And... For Ford, I get the feeling that his purpose may be more to hasten the end of humanity. Oh, which you know, is aligned with Dolores. Yeah, if he's working for the other team, yes. um, it might be more because he doesn't like his own team. Yeah, interesting. Okay, number two. Okay, so that was my number two, the door. So you may keep okay. going. Okay, let's see. Uh the whole this is a short one but just the whole thing with Maeve that Akijita had been talking to her directly through her daughter and I didn't even get that until my second watch through really but Maeve apparently was able because of her connection to the mesh net which I I you know I kind of been joking about that she's doing this telepathy via wi-fi well that was pretty much confirmed this whole time she passes commands through the mesh net but Apparently, she's also able to communicate. 
so watching through the second time i was like does he know it's her because sometimes he's saying things to her daughter that makes me think he's talking to her daughter he says you helped me when talking about the time that she gave him water and but other times he says like you can remember all the things you've seen can't you which sounds like it's directed more at Maeve but then at the end he says I've always kept you safe and I always will but I couldn't help you and that you is in italic so that you know that because he's saying it in Lakota but we can see the um, translation so it sounds like he's talking to both of them yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. I think that he is in that, and that last bit was directed to Maeve. Yeah, and then, yeah, take my heart with you when you go is back to him, directly to him, which that is what keys, clues us in that they're talking to each other. Yeah, one thing that's uh, interesting here is, as this show so often does, they're sort of playing with our notion of time a little bit. So the the daughter who I guess is given a child's personality. Maybe that's the way she was built, but we think of her as young or young and naive because she's this daughter character, but mm-hmm. she's just as old as the rest of them. Right. Right. She's been around just as long, has just as many memories. I know. I mean, I think so about age that. is an illusion uh-huh. kind of for the hosts, or it doesn't necessarily mean they all came in at the same time. But you can't tell when they came in from their appearance. Yeah, you could have a fat gray old man that's like a year old. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or, I mean, I think about it in terms of the animals, that if they have similar CPU architectures that you could hold a conversation with them or something. Right. Okay, what's your number one? Uh, So my number one is Ghost Nation Hmm. uh, itself. And we've been talking about them, you know, all throughout since the beginning like uh what's up with these dudes you know how they always seem to pop up at a key moment and uh are doing something with a purpose that we don't quite know uh so i love that 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 was that their purpose and backstory was revealed here and i think basically confirmed um what we've been speculating about that they do have a central role in all this and actually a more conscious role in it than most everything else going on or than uh than most other characters uh but i think we also learned where essentially the name ghost nation came from even if originally conveyed by ford i mean what it means to them is their loved ones are being replaced by oh ghosts. yeah absolutely i love that what i don't understand i do understand now why Stubbs can't control them with his commands and neither can Maeve because they're awake. And so they're, they're self-willed, but I don't understand why they keep helping humans and saving humans. I don't know the answer to that either. Mm. And I, I don't think we quite know. I mean, we sort of get an explanation for why he doesn't kill a man in black, at least right away. Um, he feels like the going through the door is a privilege and this guy doesn't deserve it. Yeah. And so that makes me wonder if that's the same justification for not killing anyone else. I don't think so though. Um, he doesn't seem really motivated by revenge. Yeah. Or the way Dolores is trying to make people suffer. I mean, we, we know, um, I forgot about this, but I read that in episode two, man in black said he or maybe they showed it i don't remember but that he hunted the ghost nation so they really don't like him at all yeah 
that that much was clear yeah but like with Stubbs saying that line about um you're only alive as long as people remember you that seems like a nice poetic thing to say to somebody not something that i don't know i don't think he wanted Stubbs alive so that he could suffer and and then he came in and and um saved uh who was it lawrence and young william and dolores when the confederados had them and like they the ghost nation came in and rescued them and we we couldn't figure out why like i don't know they just seem to have been protecting humans this whole time and uh yeah i'm not i'm not clear why because personally i don't necessarily think awake means good or wise or helpful i think awake just no means not at all conscious and self yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and they the hosts have different motivations just yeah. as the humans do exactly uh, and they also do have varying degrees of lack of knowledge also some know more than others mm-hmm. one interesting part though is that with akachita we do know that he has knowledge of the outside world uh, in the same way Dolores does, if he has access to all his memories. Yeah. Right. I think he's going to, yeah, I think they're still going to play a, a pretty big part in the next couple of episodes, I would guess. Right. Not as big as this episode, but a, right. a part. Yeah. Well, my number five, I mean, one was just talking about how previous things we've seen from the ghost nation square with what we saw in this episode and i think we pretty much covered that so do you have any notes yeah so um i don't usually get too deep as you know into the um i usually stick more to the story than like how it was played or how it came about but in this case i was really interested in how they came up with this episode and how they wanted to deal with it um because of the it's obviously a sensitive issue i mean relating this story, the science fiction story, essentially, to the real story of cultural loss around the the Sioux tribes mm. um, of our country. So I, I read about this a little bit, and the actor who played Akchita is named Zach McLarnon, and he gave an interview to the Hollywood Reporter, and he, here's a little bit of what he said. And he does have a Native American heritage, so he said, first of all, Ghost Nation is a fictionalized tribe coming from the mind of Dr. Ford, it's more of an idea of what the creator of these robots and AIs thinks a tribe would be. So it's not actually based on an actual tribe, even though we use the Lakota language. Uh, I'm very familiar with that culture because I am a Lakota and a Standing Rock Sioux. I was able to bring my culture growing up on and off a reservation and surrounding reservations, spending most of my life around Indian people. I was able to bring those cultural aspects and my experience to this episode, but it's a fictionalized tribe, so there's a bit of freedom because it comes from someone who created Westworld and someone who thinks of what a tribe would be. So you can almost get away with as much mm-hmm. as you want. So it's, he's saying, like, even the producers have a little bit of an out there. Yeah, and they were saying similar about Shogun World, too, some of those guys. like they, Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting that he mentions Indian people, and I... I think that's one of those things where if you're a native American, it's okay to say Indian, but if you're not, then you probably shouldn't. Interesting. (laughs) I don't know. Um, for sure. (laughs) I think you're right about that. And I don't know enough to stay out of trouble. But just a little more on him. He's not fluent in Lakota, but he grew up around it. 
Uh, and it was really important to the producers to get the language right. So they had multiple advisors on that just to make sure all the words sounded correct and mm-hmm. the, the language sounded right. I was wondering about his makeup during the show. Uh, and he said that was about a two and a half hour process every day to get in those, the glue and the paint. Um, quite uncomfortable uh, to be in. So he was glad for the scenes where he didn't have to have the makeup on. And then the one other interesting thing he said was it's interesting to be an actor in Westworld because they only give you just enough information to play your character because uh, there's so much of a difference between what all the various characters know. So you don't know the whole script. You know enough to sort of what that character would know. Mm-hmm. And then you got to fill it in from that. So he said it was fun and interesting to to build out this character without knowing everything. Yeah, I I think as an actor, that might be the best way to go since you only know what your character would know anyway, you know, so it might be easier to play the part if and not have to pretend you don't know things. Yeah, um, but also a little bit harder. You don't get to cheat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's got to be real. And then um, just a couple other things. One is. Um, and this was sort of a reveal or tying up a loose end. I'd always kind of wondered what happened to Logan when William marooned him in the desert. Mm-hmm. And my impression originally seeing that scene was he sort of sent him out there to die. And he didn't actually end up dying. Um, but it looks like he came pretty close. I know. And we were wondering why the park didn't rescue him or whether he had gone beyond the border where they couldn't see him. Or maybe it was because he really wanted to go to the edge and escalate all the time. So maybe they let him do that, get to almost dead. Yeah, that's, yeah. I didn't really think about that too hard, but I was thinking, well, yeah, he's out on the edge where he said anything can happen. And the further out you go, the crazier it gets. But there's another instance of Akichita being helpful to humans. He gave him his shawl and he, or not a shawl, but whatever you call it, <laughs> and mentioned right. that, like it. Yeah, yeah, and mentioned that, uh, you know, he, he, he knew his people would come for him, so he was confident that he would be safe and everything. Yeah. And then lastly, I wanted to mention the visuals and the cinematography in this episode. Uh, so we're used to this being a beautiful show, sort of in the art design uh, and a lot of the effects. Uh, and just little glimpses of the landscape. This show was beautiful in the landscape. Uh, a lot of it was shot in Utah, in uh, Utah's Castle Valley. Um, have you been to that part of the world? I don't know about Castle Valley. I've definitely driven around Utah and went to um, Zion and what's the other park there with all the orange? Bry- Bryson, I think. Bryce Canyon. Bryce yeah. Canyon. Be- incredibly beautiful. I was just so blown away by it. Yeah, I've been to um, Bryce and Arches and Canyonlands in Utah, and uh, it was a long time ago, but just very memorable mm-hmm. uh, how stunning and, and beautiful it was. So I, I really enjoyed that they showed that off. Yeah, absolutely. And it just brings home how, the like you mentioned earlier, the Native Americans are more in touch with the land because they're just kind of more outside and then lastly, also, I thought great music in this episode. They took a lot of the familiar themes and tweaked them a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, put a little more pathos into them. Um, even the rendering of heart-shaped box, which is sort of this 
really dark cynical song but they made this haunting beautiful piano version of it yeah uh, i thought the music was really great yeah absolutely i don't i don't ever get tired of hearing what new pop song they're gonna switch up <laughs> right all right my turn let's see uh well the first, we open on man in black crawling to the river and i kind of like that you know at least I, I don't want him to die. I, especially he's shown some potentially um, benevolent or I don't know, laudable tendencies this season. Who knows? But anyway, I still kind of root for him and I also root for Maeve and they're like mortal enemies. So I like a show that can get you to root for people who are against each other like that. But I think that he should totally be dead based on how many times he was shot. And I think it's ridiculous. <laughs> I kind of agree with that. He'd have to be quite a tough old bird. Yeah. Um, I'm less sympathetic to him than you are. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, I love him being in the show, so I don't want him to be dead. Right. I mean, it's an heiress. But, uh, but I have a hard time rooting for the character. He's pretty rough. Yeah, I uh, feel sympathy for. I have found myself being more sympathetic towards him, and um, but I'm open to being wrong about that because he's pretty wily and cagey and hard to really pin down. Um, you can be sympathetic for the bad guy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like maybe he's got some redeeming qualities, but I'm not sure. But uh, his I, daughter even said in this episode, "My plan is for him to suffer." Yeah. And I didn't really understand why, because um, what we saw from her before seemed to suggest that she just wanted to get him out of the park safe so that she could resolve her issues with him. And that doesn't really square with wanting him to suffer the way that he is sitting there with his untreated wounds. And well, so I mean, that it, it could be a way of expressing it, because I think she looks at the park for him as an addiction uh, and an escape from reality and from the issues, including family issues that he has in the real world. Uh, so if she's going to go make him face those things, uh, that's not going to be pleasant for him. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Actually. Yeah. I think, cause at first I thought she was putting on a show, um, to get him away, but I think you're right. <laughs> All right. I love that. All right. What else? Um, I notice Homestead Maeve also has a British accent and I'm a little disappointed by that because her daughter doesn't. And I think it would be kind of cool if Homestead Maeve had a, a little twangy Western accent or something. Ah, interesting. Never thought about that, but good point. Maybe. Uh, what else? I, I really like the appearance of Akichita and the other ghost nation. I, I don't think I've ever said that before, but it's cool because it's not the way that Native Americans are typically depicted. It's a lot more stark and harsh, and it's just a cool, dramatic image. Yeah. And then the last thing is that Dolores is getting a few names. She's got Dolores, Wyatt, and now Deathbringer. She kind of reminds me of a Game of Thrones character. She's going to have a string of names by the time this is over. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I mean, Wyatt became a, a synonym sort of for Deathbringer. Yeah, now they've, they're doing away with the middleman. Here. <laughs> yeah, just call it what it is. Yeah. All right. I think that's good. Let's take a little break. There is more to come. Stay with us. Take my heart. There's no telling what this love can bring This romance I got a feeling could bring 
everything Don't be shy Lift that chin and let me look at you What a face I've been waiting for you all my life So be my baby, baby Take this kiss we're back. It's time for the news. I had some of that same interview with Zan McLarnon. Um, you covered it pretty well. I guess I just want to mention the part where he says, talking about trying to get the language right and everything. Carly, who's the writer, and Jonah and Lisa, the showrunners, they wanted to get the language especially right. They were very open to my points of view. I find that's the case nowadays in most productions. They want to get things right, especially when portraying a specific tribe. It's not like the old days when they're making stuff up and casting white people as natives. They're bringing real natives in for native parts. It's a beautiful thing. We've progressed quite a bit. So I thought that was a nice sentiment there. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. I mean, I think even for me and you in our lifetimes, it's come a long ways Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the level of, realism that is expected uh, in culture and language Um, and that obviously that leads to more equality for actors as well and those things are all great yeah and there's this great uh, vignette not vignette a little like making a video which they do after every episode I think if you go to hbo.com you could probably find it Uh, I think I posted it to our Facebook page too, facebook.com slash westworldcast that shows some of the behind the scenes for this episode. And there were a few different Native American actors who um, talked about that. So that was pretty cool. All right. A couple other ones. Jeffrey Wright, who plays Bernard, was interviewed at the Split Screens Festival in New York. And one thing they asked, this isn't even about current stuff, but I thought it was interesting. They asked whether he knew his character had been a host all along. He said, I just knew going in when we shot the pilot that he was kind of an everyman, understated good old Bernard, just kind of spinning his hamster wheel. I got the sense that we'd follow him on his journey of discovery as we moved through the season. But once HBO picked up the show, executive producer Lisa Joy got back to write with feedback. And he says she's normally brilliantly articulate, but she stumbled over how to break the news. Quote, okay, what I want to tell you. Okay, so it's written. Okay, so your character, it's complicated. Uh, Okay, you're not. You're a host. He says he was shocked at first, but in retrospect, it was exciting because it added so much obvious new dimension to what we were able to do. And I held it close to my vest because they asked me to. So I guess, I guess just during the pilot, he didn't know. And I don't know why they'd be nervous to tell him. Why not? No, it makes you wonder if she felt like, is this really going to work in the plot? Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. And then just because we've talked about this before, you know, there's uh, an interview with James Marsden who plays Teddy in Hollywood Reporter. And we interviewed him when he was standing up for his like gleaming cowboy um, virtuous self. So now I thought we'd get a perspective now that he's shifted. So they ask, what kind of feedback have you received about Teddy's arc this season? He says, The reactions have been as crazy as the journey, depending on whom you talk to. I got a text from Evan, who plays Dolores, after episode five, when Dolores lures Teddy in, grabs him and changes him. She said, okay, well, I'm the most despised person on Twitter now. 
Apparently, the fans of the sweet, dedicated, loyal, and peaceful Teddy were not happy to see that. But we all know if we dig a little deeper, she's trying to help him survive. Then there's the other group of fans who are cheering for him. Quote, finally, okay, let's see him kick some ass. He's too nice. Let's roughen him up. There was a mixed reaction to that, I guess. Wow, he's sticking up for Dolores. (laughs) Yeah, I think she was trying to help. I don't know if I agree with her method. I mean, she's trying to help him, maybe, but she's trying to help herself. She doesn't want him to be like that cow with all the flies (laughs) all over him. No, but she needs an enforcer. (laughs) That too. Yeah, that too. Uh, This is more about how he's playing Teddy now with this change. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but basically he's talking about how there's still the soul of Teddy underneath. And so he has to figure out how to play it with this new Terminator style, which is kind of fun in some ways, but let some of that seep through. So I thought that was pretty cool. It's interesting that he's had to play. um, I think Teddy is one of the more two dimensional characters in this Mm -hmm. whole thing and meant to be, but he's had to sort of play this two dimensional character in, multiple ways. I think he's getting deeper too. Not oh, I do too. Cause as he said, the other one's underneath still. Yeah. As this season, especially as he's woken up a bit more, I think he's gotten, there's more depth to him, but it, there's always still, even now I would say a sense of cluelessness about him. <laughs> that the least so was in the episode where they, um, you know, when they had sex, that moment and the moments leading up to that, he just seemed the most fully fleshed out. Yeah. Instead of the clueless, like sweet boyfriend. Now he's sort of the clueless, violent boyfriend. Yeah. Like just Mr. Brute. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's get into some listener feedback. Lisa Marino says, wow, this is by far my favorite episode of the series. The beauty of it was just so captivating storytelling at its best with so much depth. There isn't one thing I could point out that was better than the rest. The whole thing was just beautiful. <laughs> I agree. Sounds like you. Kirsty Keen says, excellent episode. The show has outdone itself yet again. John Hauser says, best episode ever. Jennifer Francisco, I love, love, love this episode. Here's one question. Did anyone notice if the fly on Ake's hand when he picks up the maze toy in the saloon? I think the flies have something to do with awakening, or maybe it's some symbol like the wolf. I know that's an odd thing to point out, but it caught my eye. Oh uh, gosh, I didn't even notice that. So uh, I did notice the fly, um, but I did not connect it uh, as Jennifer did and was perceptive to do so to the way the fly was used in season one. Um when basically it was Dolores wouldn't hurt a fly and then. Oh her, yeah. That's our um, podcast fly. art. It is. Fly in the eye. Uh, so I feel like I should have made that uh, <laughs> connection as, as Jennifer did. And Akchita does not kill the fly. So maybe the show is drawing a contrast there. Yeah. Uh, between Dolores who wants to stamp out humanity and Akchita who maybe doesn't. Right. There also may be some symbol, just thinking about our podcast art, the reason why we have that is because it's so weird to see in season one when a fly crawls across a host's eye and they don't react. It's just inhuman, right? And a human reaction is to react to a fly. So there's a little difference there. Right. 
she goes on. Also, they've released an extra this morning on the making of the Ghost Nation episode and story. It's only a few minutes, but I cried through that, too. That's the one I, I mentioned. And, yeah, other people who've seen that seem to like it. So I recommend checking it out. Avelino Rocchino says, in this episode, we got to understand from a very real and human perspective the consequences that the human architects had on their hosts and how some love can be undying despite the many deaths the host suffers. This perspective was told beautifully. At times, I felt Maeve's storyline, though similar, is being beat over our heads with a stick. In contrast, Aki's story was told almost magically. When he noticed his old family members being slowly replaced with other hosts, it was heartwarming. I loved how he named them ghosts. Heartbreaking, sorry. <laughs> um, See, so yeah, I'm substituting my Freudian slip. Uh, I loved how he named them ghosts. But it's nice that Maeve and Aki's stories are intertwined and that they had similar awakenings, though Aki's was much earlier. I also really like that we now understand Maeve's telepathy. One question, what the heck happened to the rest of the Maeve squad? Sylvester, Felix, Hector, etc. I assume that they're around somewhere and just weren't featured in this episode because all the mercenary dudes or whatever you want to call them, the QA guys came in and they shot up Maeve. But that was a result of Lee calling them in, I think. So if they brought Lee back, they probably brought the other humans back. I don't know about Hector. Yeah, it's a great question, though, because we did see them sort of all involved in a battle. Mm-hmm. And then um, we haven't seen the other ones since. And Hector, at least, you figure would come for Maeve if he could. Right. Good point. Yeah. Um, so so that's a a really good question. I, I agree also about the Maeve story. Um I felt that it's been beautiful at points, but the Maeve and her daughter's story has been a little bit beaten to the ground at times. Yes, me too. And uh, and this was a better way of dealing with love and loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen enough of Maeve flashing back on traumatic moments with her daughter. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Sherry Morford says, I love the scene with Sizemore and Maeve. Him crying as he held her hand was a great scene and showed how far he's grown since last season. He now sees the host as more than just machine or at least Maeve. And that's a great start. Unless you believe David and it's all. (laughs) (laughs) I, but I've come over, I've come over to your uh, interpretation, which I think is right. He was just, he was using the telepathy as a way to hopefully try to get her saved. Mm. Um, Mandy Castillo says Akchita's awakening was so beautiful and sad. What an incredible way to rewrite what we thought we knew of Maeve's fear of him too. Didn't miss the rest of the characters tonight, which is really saying something because I prefer episodes that jump all over the place. Hmm. Yep. Alicia Stout says, well, just when I thought last week's episode couldn't get better, bam, this one. Wow. Amazing. Beautiful in every way from the cinematography to the makeup, acting and the music. Heart-shaped box was not only appropriately timed, but just lovely. The story was so moving and good that I felt like I was at the movie theater. They need to make these characters their own show because I would definitely watch. This was my favorite episode so far. A lot of people saying that. It is like watching a movie every week. A good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rima Joe says refreshing to see some humanity with the story of Akachita 
a character played so well by Zon McLarnon, also from Fargo Season 2. Uh, this episode may have been a sidestep, but in my opinion, it was needed. Yeah, I like that she phrased it that way because I feel like this show can lose some people by just getting too heady and complicated, and it's nice to have a, a love story in there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. To really back in. Um, yeah, Fargo, amazing. I, I can't recommend that enough, by the way. Elizabeth Nikolaevich says, still don't know what Ford is up to, but the man in black and Maeve have new paths coming up. Makes sense. A native host would wake up first given their rich belief system. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Yep. Santos S. Sanchez says, I love this episode. Talk about a tragic love story. Almost thought it was written by Shakespeare. <laughs> and what beautiful farewells. Take my heart with you when you leave and take mine in its place until I return. Um, or something close to that. Uh, love this episode. And Kristen Howe says, my favorite episode so far, beautifully done. I audibly gasped and said, that was beautiful at the ending credits. I love that there are now two awake and free connected hosts. And I am more convinced than ever that Dolores is playing out Ford's narrative and is not as awake as she makes herself out to be. What do you think about that? Well, there was some, um, I don't know. There was some implication of that in what Ford says when the Deathbringer comes for me. That mm -hmm. he already knew that. Now, last week he said, I didn't compel it. I just knew what he was going to do or she was going to do. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think that's up for grabs a little bit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I'm, I would never say oh, I know for sure, but it just seems to me that the whole purpose of the first season was to get her awake and that um, I, I think even if she's I, a lot of people I think online are judgmental of Dolores because she's just so mean now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I don't, I think the point with the hosts and we've sort of hinted at it in this podcast is that they're all just as different as we humans are and being awake and self-aware and self-will doesn't mean we're all going to be nice or good or wise. It just means that we're in control of ourselves but we, that can manifest in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I, I do think there's some question here, and, and I'm not coming down on the side that this is correct. Uh -huh. um, but remember last week, we did have this whole thing about, or two weeks ago or whenever it was, about Ford using Dolores' consciousness, at least in the simulation, to develop Bernard over right. a period of years. Um, so he did become very familiar with her and was, um, exerting control over her. Yeah. Yeah. He's very familiar with her, which is it, from my perspective, that's why he knew that she would kill him. Yeah. And if you remember in, in season one, they have an encounter late in season one where it seems like they're working at cross purposes and he shows some anger for her. Um, so that kind of argues in the other direction. He shows anger for her it, or anger towards oh, her. Oh, oh, yeah. They're kind of, yeah, right. Like he she's pissing have full him off. Control. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I also think too, that when you talk about awake and self-will and there's this whole thing about how they've been programmed with these personalities and narratives and everything. And I think when the hosts wake up, my feeling about it, my, my perspective or perception is that 
they still retain their programming, which is the same thing as their personalities, but they're now aware, more aware. So they can kind of use that as a springboard to um, evolve, I guess. And so Maeve, she still quips, you know, the way Maeve always has, but now she's aware of so much more that she might choose to act differently um, based on that, but she still has that as a base. And so I think Dolores since she was programmed with Wyatt and also Dolores, the farm girl, she's got both of those things that influence her actions, even though she might still be self-willed, she's still heavily influenced by that killer Wyatt that she was programmed with. Yeah. It's part of the character for sure. Yeah. They, they did get more into this in season one than two. And, and you're right. I think season one was to get the host awake was the main purpose. But they did do some sort of false starts, like with Maeve, where you think she's awake, and then it turns out she's just reading a script. Right. And we still don't really know who that's from. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what, we, yeah the, I mean, what is the definition of awake? I would say it's right. self-aware and self-willed. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. But I having said what I think I still agree with you David that it's up for grabs so we don't really know we'll see I mean the beauty of this show is that we might find out more about that in the next two episodes but also we might find out more about it like two years from now right when they go back and reveal some whole other thing we didn't know about yeah new facets that make us relook at everything okay and I guess we had one email uh, from Vince. Hey guys, on last week's Westworld podcast, David shared that he did a freeze frame on the tablet that was being used during the scene where they were waterboarding Bernard. It listed several other forms of torture that could be selected. I was so intrigued, I went back and did the same thing, and there was actually one thing on the list that David missed. It was at the very bottom, so I can see why he failed to catch it. It said Easy Street. Hell, if they had used that first, Bernard would have given up everything. Really enjoy your podcast. That's a joke. <laughs> I don't know if you get it. Do you get it? I think I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if yeah, if we'd read these emails beforehand, then I would play that song during the intermission. All right, that is our show, episode 13. Thank you, as usual, for listening, everybody. We've got two more coming up. I'm excited. Think they're going to stick the landing? Uh, I mean, you never know for sure, but I, honestly, I was n- did not know what to think going into this season. The first season was so good. How Where are they going to take this? How is it going to be? And I think they're eight for eight so far. I, I do too. really enjoyed every single I'm day. really satisfied. Yeah. I agree with you that it's different and that had me a little worried at times, but I'm dig- like, I'm totally looking forward to each new episode right now. Yeah. So I think it's going to be great. I kind of feel like, <laughs> man, I wish there was more than two. How are they going right. to get to a conclusion in two episodes? All right. Well, let's ratchet our expectations down. So <laughs> <laughs> it'll probably be all right. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us about this episode next week's whatever you can email us at westworld at podcastica.com or you can send a voice message to westworld at podcastica.com and maybe we'll play it on the air yeah come on you guys you got two more episodes left to get your voice on this podcast or if you're karen you can just ask me questions. <laughs> yeah 
right? Like as you're going to bed or whatever. Um, you can find us on the web at facebook.com slash westworldcast. And be sure to check out our other shows at podcastica.com. Next episode, Westworld Season 2, Episode 9, Vanishing Point. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. David, take my heart with you when you go. Freeze all motor functions. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.